When the weather is like this, sunshine, I would like to go out with Joan, my wife, uh, for a walk. And more than one time, we went to uh, Roth Park. We really enjoyed walking in the park and feasting our uh, eyes on the flowers, uh, the vibrance uh, of the colors. A few days later, we went again. But this time, the flowers are looking a little tired. However, we still enjoyed the view and the walk. Several days after that, we went again, but this time, the flowers looking droopy and tired, very tired. And uh, last time we went to visit, the gardener has removed all the dead flowers uh, from the flower bed. This uh, experience uh, reminded me of that uh, passage we have just read, and especially uh, verse 8, when uh, Isaiah says clearly uh, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I would like actually to ask you to open your Bible so that we can have a look and study on this passage and to learn from God's word what Isaiah wanted to tell us. But first of all, let's ask the question, who is Isaiah? Well, Isaiah, son of Amos, his name means God is salvation. He was a prophet of God lived in Jerusalem and its surrounding during the reign of four kings. These are kings of uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, Hosea, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. His ministry lasted for 53 years, from 739 BC to 686. Isaiah speaks a lot about God. And uh, we learn a lot about God from Isaiah. He tells us uh, about his holiness and his purity. We find that in chapter 6. He prophesies about the coming of God to be with his people. And uh, also the way in which he will come, a unique way, being born of a virgin in chapter 7. He tells us about God's nature and his character in chapter 9, and that Christ will come from the line of Jesse, the son of David, the father of David, and he will be an eternal king in chapter 11, and that the kingdom of Christ, the Messiah, will endure forever, that his kingdom will consist of uh, Jews, and big portion of it will be from the Gentiles. Isaiah also prophesies about uh, or against the corruption of the surrounding, nature, surrounding countries and nations, those who are high-powered countries of the day. And also he gives us uh, a, a bit of a history of King Hezekiah, from chapter 36 to chapter 39. But uh, from chapter 40, he illuminates us uh, uh, with uh, with, uh, these wonderful promises 
and prophecies after the darkness of the doom and gloom in the first 39 verse chapters. It is another era of good news. That part from Isaiah 40 to the end, 66, uh, uh, Matthew Henry said that about it that is considered to be the future, a summary of the future of the, old, of the New Testament. Certainly, it's the case for the apostles of Christ quoted extensively from the later part of Isaiah. So come with me to these 11 verses that, uh, that I read and I would like to share with you something about God's word. Firstly, the word of God is tender. The word of God is tender. Verses 1 and 2. He says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. The prophet Isaiah spoke these words, God's word, to King Hezekiah and to the people of uh, Judah. In the previous chapter, we read of words of punishment because of Hezekiah's pride, because Hezekiah depended on his riches and on alliance that he could have with other nations. So God said to him, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Painful words, because God's justice must take place. But immediately after having this harsh uh, uh, pronouncement of, of punishment comes a tender words comes a word of encouragement. Yes, the exile will come, but it will be for a limited time. And that after the struggle of going to the exile, after living in a foreign land, after experiencing hardships, there will be a time of relief. It, it's like a mother who's observing her naughty child and pronounces the punishment for his disobedience. But then after that, she would take him between her arms to comfort him, to tell him that she loves him. Isaiah did not prophesy only about the end of the exile, but he prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, the one whom God promised to his people to lead them and to uh, rule over them, to be their king. All Isaiah's prophecies have been, have been fulfilled. Why and how? Because the one who spoke is God himself. You see, every letter derives its importance from the person who signs it. And here we have in the Bible God's signature not only at the end of the book, but in every book on the 66 books that the Bible contains. More than 2,000 times, we read the phrase, and God said. You see, from the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we read, and God said, and the word was created. Uh, uh, God created the whole world, everything in it, by his word. And uh, 
later on in this passage, for example, we know that it is God who speaks these words of comfort because at the end of, chapter, of verse 1, it says this, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Well, notice something here uh, in, uh, uh, that God says that he is our God. And that is wonderful. We belong to him. We just sang that we are the sheep of his pasture, that he speaks softly and tenderly with his people. Listen to him speaking to his people, saying to them, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right, righteous right hand. These are promises are given to us to enjoy, to have the comfort of it. Do you trust them? Do you believe in them? You know that not believing God's word and his promises is a sin. Because not trusting means that you are saying to God, I don't trust you. But God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Has he spoken, and will he not make it good? When we learn through the experience of life how to trust God, how to uh, uh, enjoy the comfort and the tenderness of his word towards us, we will be giving wisdom and courage to face any situations we may encounter. I recall uh, a quotation from Polycarp. He was uh, a disciple of uh, the Apostle John, and towards the end of his life, uh, he was about to be executed, and uh, he was given a chance to deny Christ and to spare his life. This is what he said. Eighty and six years have I served Christ, nor has he ever done me any wrong. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? That is what uh, uh, Polycarp said, because he rested on God's promises. His experience told him that God will never leave him nor forsake him. Forsake him. And he was received to glory after that. Do we take comfort of God's promises? Do we read God's promises to start with, to know about what he says to us? And do we obey what God tells us in his word? Do we go to him first with our problems? Or God is the last resource that we go to find an answer? Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says the Lord. The word is tender. Now let's go verses 3 to 6. Uh, the word is timely. The word is timely. The word of God always comes in the right time. Isaiah says here, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Before any official visit, um, the place is being prepared to receive that honorable guest. I certainly experienced that when we visited North Africa uh, in Algeria and uh, uh, accompanied by the uh, head of the Bible Society, he took me to another town in the north. 
And when we arrived there, we find lots of queues, and they told us the roads were blocked. So we had to park somewhere else, and we walked through the town. And uh, to my amazement uh, as to see why the roads were blocked is because the roads were being newly tarmacked. And uh, the pavement has been swept and painted green and white. And flags were all over the place. And I said, what's going on? And they said, ah, the president of the country is going to visit the following week. God promised a voice to prepare the way before his coming. Isaiah was that voice. He's encouraging people and those who are going to the exiles that they will come back. And uh, when they come back, the roads will be paved and that they will have, they will have uh, uh, help as they come from uh, the exiles. But notice here, he speaks as if, if it was God who needs these straight paths. He said, make straight the highway for our God. Well, this is a wonderful assurance and evidence of God's love for us. God's love for his people because he applied to himself what really relates to the salvation of his people or what relates to the comfort of his people. John Calvin, in his commentary explaining this, he said, The Lord has nothing to do with walking and had no need of a road, but he shows that we are so closely united to him that what is done in our account is reckoned to be done to himself. Prepare the way for our God. But these verses also were quoted by the writer of the Gospels, the four of them, when they spoke of John the Baptist. Uh, he came preaching, and the Jews asked him, what do you say about yourself? And he said these words, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Teach Isaiah here is teaching us, as well as John and every preacher who stood on this pulpit faithfully to preach, as well as all over the world, that there is a message of repentance. There is a message of renouncing the bad deeds, the sins that we are committing, because the kingdom of God is near. Every mountain of pride, every hill of self-reliance will become low, will be humbled, and every suffering and every struggle will be raised up, and uh, the crooked ways of sin will be made straight. It is the time to receive the great king. It is the time to receive the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, and he pointed to him, saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Are we ready to receive Christ in our hearts? Have we prepared a place in our hearts for him that he can take control? It is the time to stop thinking of evil thoughts. It's the time to stop doing bad deeds. It's the time to stop these sinful uh, conversations, to receive the Lord of Holiness in our hearts. I remember a few years ago when I met my friend Roddy um, uh, in, in France, I asked him about his testimony. 
And he told me that uh, he was born in, uh, in Tunisia. And uh, at the age of three months old, his family moved to France, where he lived in a, a, a humble uh, surroundings. And uh, the family did not care much about him, so he found his solace among friends. So he used to go out and hang with his friends uh, in the neighborhood. And soon he was taught to smoke and to use drugs. He became dependent. And he said at the age of 16, he was a real thug. He needed to finance his expensive habits. So he used to steal and to rob, even using uh, force and knives. He was a very uh, a common person to see in the police stations. The prison cells were not uh, uh, strange to him. And then he heard that uh, his brother died. And he was really depressed. The prison uh, uh, authorities decided to move him to a new prison because they were afraid that he will commit suicide. He hit bottom rock, uh, rock bottom. And uh, as they took him to a new cell, uh, his cellmate was someone who had lots of books and lots of tapes. Uh, so as he listened to these tapes, they were tapes of singing. Uh, brought some cheers, uh, cheerfulness to him. And he asked about these books, and uh, his mate told him that these are Christian books. Uh, being in prison cell and didn't have much to do, he started looking at these books and reading them. He said it was not very uh, hard for him to be captivated when he started reading the gospel. But uh, read with the gospel, he read some, uh, some tracts and some leaflets. And one particular verse that stuck by him is uh, uh, in Romans, when Paul said that, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. It was very easy for him to understand, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. He himself knew that he was a criminal. But to understand being justified freely by his grace, this was, was, was very difficult for him. Yet, one day, on the 14th of July, he received pardon this was the National Day of France when the president could guarantee uh, some uh, presidential pardon. And he was chosen. He said, well, I haven't done anything to deserve that. And when he went out of prison, that verse came back to him. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. He immediately understood that it's by grace that we are saved renounced his, uh, his old life and asked to live for Christ. You see him nowadays in the old port uh, in, in, in the south of France, giving tracts, telling people about the, the Lord who saved him. Because the word of God is timely. It comes in the right time. And lastly, the word of God is trustworthy, verses 7 to 11. The glory of God will be revealed in Jerusalem with the return of people from the exile. The comfort of God will fill every heart and every eye will see the salvation of God in the future kingdom of the Messiah. 
And once again, we have that assurance because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah started to reflect on the miserable situation of mankind today. We are here. Tomorrow we disappear. It is really foolish thing to trust in man to save or to improve the situation of your living. I remember when I was in, in the, uh, serving in the military in Egypt, I needed the help of someone to position me in a camp that uh, will be convenient to me. And uh, uh, one uh, friend from the church said, one of our neighbors is working in the uh, military police. If you would like, I can arrange a meeting with him. So I said, yes, please. I went to speak with this man. And I said, could you help me? Is that possible? And uh, the man smiled and said, you don't know who am I, do you? I, I said, I'm sorry, sir. I only know that you are in the military police. He said, I have the power to create a military camp in front of your home if I wanted to. And I said, well, that, that is too drastic. I only wanted to be in this particular part of Cairo. He said, come back in two weeks and I will have sorted out something for you. And I said, thank you, and I left. Two weeks later, I went and I knocked the door, no answer. And I went to my friend and said, I came to visit this man, but no answer. He said, you haven't heard? He died of a heart attack last week. It was a shocking news. But the Bible tells us in Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, nor in the son of man, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. His spirits depart, he returns to earth, and that very day his plans perishes. Life is not secure, but there is one thing is assured. And he tells us in verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What God reveals to us will stand the time, will stand uh, the ages, will stand even the accusation of Satan. From the beginning of creation, we see Satan is coming, trying to, um, uh, to distort God's word, uh, to marginalize the power of his word. And uh, when we look at Genesis 3, the first words that Satan used uh, to speak with Eve was, uh, did God really say? Did God really say? Satan used this weapon against Adam. And then he flatly contradicted what God says. And uh, he said uh, this, and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of, of it, of that fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He tried to distort uh, God's nature and God's image, as if God is selfish, does not want his people to know and to have these privileges. Satan was able to overcome Adam, and Adam fell in the sin of rebellion. And he still uses this word. He's still using doubt in the mind of the non-believers about who God is, about his word. Can we learn the truth? Is there anything called absolute truth? 
But these are old words. These are from centuries. Perhaps they, they do not reflect uh, the need of today. We are in the modern era now. How can we trust this particular book when we have lots of other religions and lots of other uh, faiths? But God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. He did not leave his word without a witness. I was reading the biography of uh, William Tyndale, uh, the Englishman who was uh, 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 very gifted in languages uh, at the age of 16, uh, in the 16th century. He had a vision uh, and a desire to translate the New Testament uh, into English so that the people can read the Bible with their mother tongues. He was able to uh, finish it and to uh, uh, print it using the German uh, press, Gutenberg uh, press. But uh, when he smuggled it into the countries, the, the, in the UK, the religious leaders were very cross with him. And they uh, tried him. Uh, they pronounced that he should be burned to death uh, in 1536. But before he died, Tyndale prayed and said, O Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And the Lord answered. It was before four years that King Henry VIII have commissioned the first English uh, uh, copy of the Bible to be published, which was known as the Great Bible. It was based solely on the translation of William Tyndale. The word of our God stands forever. But uh, this is not everything here. We have uh, everything around us is, uh, is, is temporary. But there are also some good news that will stand the time. In verse 9, it tells, O Jerusalem, O Zion, uh, pronounce these good news. It's not just only for you, Jerusalem, but it's for the whole world. And he says, Behold your God. How does this God come to this world? How is he going to manifest himself to his people? Well, the Bible tells us that, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, him, uh, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten uh, of the Father, full of grace and truth. This word became flesh. It's the Messiah, Jesus, the God incarnate, Emmanuel. In verse 10, it says that he will come with a strong hand, with a mighty hand, much mightier than any problems, any obstacles, or any opposition. That also he will work, his work will be before him. That means he knows exactly what he needs to do and how to achieve it, and nothing can stop him. At the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, we see the conclusion and the final score when John writes to us and saying this about Christ, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is the great Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But how is he going to deal with his people? Well, he's telling, us, he's telling us here that he is a good shepherd. He knows how to feed his flock. 
He's tender. He's kind with those who are injured. He is uh, encouraging uh, to those who are weak. His arms are strong to carry those who are broken and to defend those who are defendless. How can we relate to him? Well, as God, we must respect him. As shepherd, we must love him. As God, we must fear him. As a friend who is closer than a brother, we must treat him. He is God, and therefore we must obey him. He is the shepherd, and we must trust him. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. I wanted to end with the words of Elik Mature in, uh, in commenting on this passage. Uh, he said this, The sovereign God is never more sovereign than in the work of mercy and salvation. And it is those who know they have most singly erred and strayed from his ways, who within the blessed arena of salvation feel most gently the warmth of his shepherding arm around them and know themselves for sure to be the lambs of his flock. May the Lord help us that this will be our experience of the Good Shepherd through his good and inerrant word. Amen.